I don't know if you noticed, we changed the kind of the design on the table as we're going through the meals of the master. This Sunday, it kind of looks like a picnic, and it's got a check tablecloth up there, and I think it fits with the story of the feeding of the 5,000 a little bit better. And I don't know about you, what your experience was growing up, but I can remember when I was growing up that church picnics were a big, big deal. I can still see um, how we would put together long tables and and set out check tablecloths, much like this one. And then there was the long table food. And, you know, on way on one end was the plastic forks and the knives and the paper plates. And on the other end was the iced tea and the lemonade. And, and on the left, kind of closer to the plates, was the meat dishes and the vegetables. And then on the right would have been the desserts and the, and the salads. And then kind of in the middle, they, I don't know why, they always put these awesome rolls with butter. And, man, it just... It just, I'm hungry. Are you guys hungry? What time's lunch, right? Just a little bit. I'll try to hurry up so we can get out and get something to eat. You know, it's one of the things I actually like about our baptism service. When we go to uh, Webster Center in August, we do the same kind of thing. We do the baptism service, but then we do this big, big picnic, and it's just a fun time. And, and growing up, I can remember just the fun of fellowship and just telling stories and teasing each other and all the kinds of things that went with that. We would play games often. We'd sing songs together. It just felt like true Christian fellowship. And the amazing thing was it always seemed like there was plenty of food. There was even plenty of food left over. It kind of looks like our story of the feeding of 5,000 is no different. It's just another church picnic, only much, much larger, right? But no one announced ahead of time that, okay, uh, meet at 4 o'clock on the hill. We're going to have a picnic with Jesus. That wasn't a part of the plan. Nobody kind of organized things. You know, nobody announced what to bring. You know, A through H, bring uh, the salads and, and so on. No, at the feeding of the multitude, no, wasn't, no one was expected. The whole thing was really impromptu. It just happened. Uh, there, was, there were people there. The crowds had gathered. They were listening to Jesus teaching his message, and they were enthralled with his words. And eventually, probably some stomachs started to churn. And, and so Jesus, deciding that he had talked and taught long enough, uh, began to be concerned about people's hunger. And so he stopped, and he basically told the disciples, let's feed them. You see, God's not just interested in our spiritual lives, which he is, but he's also interested in our physical well-being as well. He's in, interested in our whole self that he's created. And our faith is not in a God who remains mysterious in some heaven far away that we can't see. Our faith is in a God who became man, who became hungry and thirsty, even as we do today. He was a man of men who knew what it, mean, it meant to hurt, and he feels our pain and our wounds. And when Jesus cut himself, he bled like we did. Uh, he asked for water, we know from a woman at the well. Now, on the cross, he proclaimed, I thirst. And so Jesus understands our human desires, our human needs. And, and he took compassion, I think, on this crowd that was gathered. And he's always had compassion. It's a part of his nature. It's the nature of God. And he basically tells the disciples, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, this must be a significant story of Jesus, because this is the only story that we find in all four of the Gospels. So my thought is, well, if it's so important, what is it that we can learn about Jesus? But also, what's in this passage that we can learn about? What does it mean to be a disciple? You know, our passage tells us again that Jesus and his disciples uh, withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And 
they were trying to get away, but, but a crowd found out where they were going, and it ended up being a crowd of over 5,000 people uh, got together. They followed him, and he ended up taking the opportunity to do some teaching with them. And, and as the day got late, the disciples came to him with a problem. They said, hey, there's too many people for us to be able to feed. And so they, uh, they had a challenge. But rather than seeing this as an opportunity uh, for the Lord to work, they saw it as a problem that they needed to fix. And so I want you to notice their pessimism uh, from Mark's account of this occasion. Uh, it says in Mark that they said to him, it would take us eight months of a man's wages to feed all these people. So he, they asked the question, basically, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So they came up with a plan because they didn't think they could do that. And they said, let's send them to the surrounding villages so they can go get food and, and probably for some of them go get some lodging. Now, I think that's a logical, reasonable, level-headed, natural approach to the problem that they had. They identified it, they assessed it, weighed the options, and then they acted on it. It was a great plan, except for the fact that they were not making the most of the opportunity by first understanding what was the Lord's will. What was Jesus' plan in this situation? And so the disciples dove headlong into fix-it mode. And I appreciate that because I'm a man and I have the same kind of challenge. You know, when we face a problem at home, I want to fix it. But, but they didn't ask one time, what did Jesus, who was standing right there, what was his thoughts? What were his ideas about how to handle the situation? So Jesus looked him right in the eye and he basically said, Fellas, you give them something to eat. Now, if you were one of the twelve, and Jesus had told you that, and you didn't have very much resources, how would you have responded? I, I thought about that. I thought, boy, they probably had this tightening in their chest and this tingling in their spine that led to this sensation in their neck that basically sends this message to the brain that says, you want us to do what? Feed 5,000? Are you kidding me? They basically said, Lord, you know, we had this committee meeting already, and We've identified the problems, we've, asse- we've assessed our resource pool, and uh, we've already come up with a perfectly legitimate and natural solution to this problem. Jesus wanted his disciples to stop looking at the problems from their natural perspective and start looking at the solutions from his supernatural prospect. How can I say that so definitively? I can say it because Jesus himself said it. In John's account of this situation, it says that Jesus asked them this question to test them, for he already knew what he he had in mind, what he was going to do. He already knew. He already knew what his, his plan was. Now, why would Jesus ask a question of the disciples that he already had an answer for? Kind of sounds like my parents when I was a kid. There were times I thought, you already know the answer to this question. Why are you asking me that? Why would he put them through the exercise that he already predetermined the outcome? What was up with that? Well, I think the answer is not so difficult for us to explore, but I want us to look at the text a little deeper and kind of see what, what is Jesus up to in, in and through this situation. Well, the thing, first thing I think that jumps out to me is that I see the discipleship is not for spectators. Discipleship isn't a spectator sport. You know, it's been said that much of Christianity can be compared to a, a game of football. Have you heard this? 22 players playing their life out dying for rest, and a whole stands, 100,000 people that are in desperate need of exercise watching the game. If you're a leader in the, in the church, at some point you've kind of maybe felt like that. But that's not God's plan. 
Jesus wants all of the disciples, all of us, to be engaging in his ministry of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. That's why he sent out the twelve in this previous chapter. In the early part of of chapter 9, we have the story about how Jesus sends the twelve out to uh, proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to minister to the people that that are in the villages and the towns around the area. And right after this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, we're also told that he sends 72 followers out the same kind of fashion to proclaim the the good news of the kingdom and to meet people's physical needs, to minister to them. See, the Lord invites us to join him in his work, and that's exactly what he wanted them to do and what he wants us to learn from and to do as well. Why? Well, because once we put our faith in believing in Christ as Savior, we can't just stay there. We need to keep moving forward in that faith journey and moving forward in making him the Lord of our entire life. It would be like being born as an infant and remaining an infant for the rest of our life. That's not what God's plan is. His plan is for us to join him in his work, to continue in that journey to go deeper in Christ and then further in mission. That's his plan. He calls us forward to keep maturing as we grow in Christ. And so as we do that, we join him, we come under his direction, his authority, his leadership. However, as disciples that come under the lordship of Christ, we need to start looking at the world and all the problems that are out there, not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. The disciples, on the other hand, were looking at this dilemma from their perspective. In fact, they left the Lord almost entirely out of what they were working on. They left him out of the equation. And in many of our cases, I think that when we look at a situation, a challenge, sometimes we go to that and we, we basically exhaust all of our resources before we then turn to, to the Lord and we say, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want me to do in that situation? What's your plan to address this challenge or this problem? How in the world were the disciples going to feed all those people? They needed to change their mindset of making the most of every opportunity by seeing that problems are really opportunities in disguise in the kingdom of God. That when God looks at a problem, he wants his people to see them as an opportunity in the kingdom. So by only looking at the problem instead of God's provision, the disciples thought only about how they could accomplish the assignment of feeding the 5,000 in their own ability, in their own power, their own resources. And what they concluded was, how can we fix this? We have only five loaves and, and two fish. Now, you don't know this, you probably can't see it, but we have five loaves of bread up here, and we've got two fish. Do you see the two fish? Anybody like tuna out there? Good, because I'll give it to you. I don't like tuna. So So there's five loaves. They're looking at that and they're going, we can't do it. We've only got five loaves. We've only got uh, two fish. It's impossible. There's no way we can feed that many people with what we have. The problem was not with the dilemma, but with the way they were thinking. They had not yet grabbed onto the fact that Jesus was inviting them to join him in his work. They thought they had to accomplish all this task on their own with their own resources. But, but really what Jesus is saying, hey, I've got a plan and I'm inviting you to join me in what I'm going to accomplish. But they're thinking, we can't do this. It's impossible. But remember, again, Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. We often forget that when Jesus or when God reveals himself, when he speaks, 
He always reveals himself and what he's going to do. He doesn't always tell us what we're going to do or how that's all going to work out, but he always says, this is what I'm going to do. And we join him in that work so that he can work through us. That's why Jesus said in a different gospel, Mark 10:27, he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible with God. You see, at this point, the disciples had already seen Jesus heal the lame man. They'd already seen him bring sight to the blind man. They'd already seen him uh, heal the man with leprosy. They'd seen him calm the storm. They'd seen him heal the woman that had the blood problem. They'd seen him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. All these things were supernatural. But now, when this opportunity knocked, it didn't even enter their minds that maybe, just maybe, God wanted to do something supernatural, miraculous through them. Now, if the disciples had pooled all their money, all their resources, they'd pass the plate or the, or the hat that day in the crowd. They might have got enough money to be able to pay for enough food for, to feed a portion of the 5,000. They wouldn't have come up with enough resources to feed everybody. But say they had done that and they had enough to feed a portion of the people. And those who were provided for could look at them and say, oh, those boys, they're such nice boys. Look at how devoted they are. They're committed followers of Christ. What a wonderful thing they did. They're really nice. However, none of the people that day would have explained it in any terms of God providing to meet their needs. The disciples could have done that for a portion entirely separate of God's intervention. However, the Lord isn't just interested in feeding stomachs for one day. He is interested in that. He wants to make sure we have enough to eat, everyone. But he also wants to feed their souls and their spirits for eternity. The only way that those people knew that God was at work in and through the disciples was to solve the dilemma in a supernatural way that far exceeded the disciples' power or their resources. God wanted them to know through this situation, as they looked at what happened, they could look at Jesus and say, Wow, there's no human that could have done that. He has to be the Son of God. I think that's one of the reasons why all the Gospels have this story as a part of their story about Jesus. It tells this idea that only the Son of God could accomplish that miracle. See, God wants us to use problems as opportunities to reveal himself through us. Some people say that God will never use me. He'll never ask me to do something that I can't do. But my experience in discipleship has been there are times he'll ask us to do things that we probably think we can't do or that we don't have enough resources or ability to accomplish. And I think he does that in order to not only reveal himself to me, but to demonstrate his nature and his strength and his kindness and his provision to a watching world. People need to see that supernaturally visible hand of God working in and through his disciples so that when something happens, there's no question that God is the one who's done it. Think about as we look at stories from the scriptures. God told Abraham that he was going to be the father of a nation, and, and yet he told him at a time when Abraham and Sarah were beyond the childbearing years. Why did he do that? To make himself known, to reveal himself. God told Moses to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and through the challenge at the Red Sea. Why did he do that? To make himself known, to show himself. 
God had Gideon defeat the Midianite army of 120,000 men with 300 men. Why? Again, to make himself known. Thinking about this image and how do we have an image of what God can do and who he is. I read a story about a kindergarten teacher that had given an assignment to the class for them to draw a picture and so while the students, the kids were working on their drawings, she was walking around looking at all the students' drawings and admiring them. And she came to a little girl and she looked at the little girl's drawings. She couldn't quite make out what the girl was drawing. And so she asked her, she said, well, tell me about your picture. And the little girl said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher thought for a moment. She said, well, how are you doing, doing that? We don't really know what God looks like. And she said, everybody will in a minute. Talk about confidence, right? So Jesus told the disciples to feed 5,000 and to make disciples of all the nations. I don't think any of those things are humanly possible. But when God's people in the world see something happen that only God can do, they come to know God. They're not knowing us. They're knowing God as God works through us. Folks, God wants people to come to know him. That's why he chooses to work through us. See, people know us. They know what we can do. They probably know what we can't do. But when they see things that happen that can only be explained by God's hand or God's provision, they will come to know him. Our passage tells us that Jesus had the disciples have the people sit down in groups of 50. And then he said, or then the story says in verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and we told that he broke them. And then he, just, he gave them to the disciples to give, to set before the people. And then they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Amazingly, there was more at the end than there was at the beginning. You think God was in that? You see, when God guides, God provides the Lord's hand was all over this. He told them to do something. He explained how they were going to do it. And then he had them do that. And when God gives us a directive, we can count on the fact that God has already considered every factor that needs to be considered. And doesn't, again, Scripture say that he already had in mind what he was going to do. So as far as we know, we need to seek and to do God's will. And it's imperative that we clearly understand what God's will is and his directions for carrying out his will. In fact, he tells us in James, he says, if anyone, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So like the disciples, our wisdom, our knowledge, our capabilities are going to be inadequate. It won't be enough. But God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's resources through us are always adequate. Why? Because he's able to accomplish all that he calls us to do. Again, think about it. When they were done distributing all the food, we're told that they had more than what they started with. You see, when we're obedient to God, when we give whatever we have, when he desires to do something, we give whatever we have to him, as little as those resources may be, our, our life, our physical resources, our capabilities, our talents, 
God takes whatever little we offer up and he multiplies the gifts for his glory and for his kingdom. Now, if you've been in this process as a follower of Jesus before, where you've ever realized that God asks you to do something, that you're feeling like, I'm not capable. I don't know that I can accomplish that. But I know, God, that you're calling me to give myself to you. If you've ever taken that step of faith and gone out a little bit and risked that God was going to help you in a place where you didn't know how it was going to work and that you could accomplish what he asked you to do, my, my experience has been that when I do that and that I see God provide in and through me and through others, when I step back and, and after we're done helping meet that challenge, whatever that kingdom challenge is, when I step back and look at that, what I realize is what little I gave to him that he multiplied, that I received far more in abundance when I'm done. And I'm not talking about material resources. I'm not talking about money or physical things. I'm talking about what you receive in terms of knowing that you've partnered with God in bringing about transformation. That you've partnered with God in, in bringing another part of the kingdom into this world. When you've helped change somebody's circumstances or their future. Uh, when, we, when you share that with other believers and you enjoy the richness of being on mission together and in fellowship that helps meet the needs of others in a powerful way. What you do when you step back is you go, wow, the joy, the sense of purpose, the fulfillment, the, the knowledge of, of being a part of the body of Christ. You receive so much more than what little you gave to God in that process. And again, knowing it's God's power, it's God's ability, it's, it's not ours. And then to see him at work, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And it encourages us, I believe, when we do that, and we see God provide, then we're encouraged to increase our faith even more. And then God comes back to us again at some point, gives us a new challenge. And we say, I'm not able. I don't have the resources. And God said, that's okay. I need you to trust in me. And I'm calling you. All I want you to do is now commit to partnering with me in this process. So my encouragement as I close the message is just, you know, let's open our eyes to the opportunities that the Lord sets before us. And then when he calls us with an opportunity, test our faith. Step forward. If we know God's calling us, we don't feel like we've got the capability, the, the resources to trust him and say, okay, God, I'm going to give what little I have and I'm going to put my part in and partner with you in that process. And I believe God will do amazing things. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, the story that you have uh, for us, the, the story about how Jesus worked uh, through the disciples to help meet the needs of this large crowd. God, the first that we can see that, that Jesus really is the Son of God. And he was an amazing teacher, but, but more than that, he gave them spiritual food, but he also gave them physical food. And God, thank you that you invite us that we're your ambassadors, we're, we're your agents in this world. And you call us to give ourselves to you and to your purposes. And as we look at the needs and the challenges, we, we think, God, there's no way. I, I don't have what it takes. But that's the place that you invite us to trust you, to trust in your character, to trust in your resources and your power. And to know, God, that ultimately it's not our power, but it's your power at work in and through us. God, help increase our faith 
as we desire to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand to respond to the word we just received?